The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy trends, innovations, and debates. Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today my guest on Off the Shelf is Alan Thomas. Alan is GSA's Federal Acquisition Service Commissioner. And we're going to be talking about all things FAS today, you know, uh, some of their key initiatives, uh, key priorities uh, under Alan's leadership. And Alan, it's great to have you on the show. Good to see you again. Well, thanks, Roger. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm looking looking forward to this conversation. And yeah, you know, at some point we'll talk about your you know your impressions of of uh, FAS and GSA coming back. I, I know you did some work in, related to GSA in the past, and and just where that is. But I think the the thing that lots of people are talking about these days, obviously, is Section 846. That's the e-commerce provision mm-hmm. of last year's NDAA. And recently, GSA, in January, GSA, you know, and be hosted uh, Industry Day and brought folks together to talk about the statute, implementation issues, and opportunities as well. And then in March, um, within the statutory time frame, that's that was we hit on, the deadline. Uh, you hit the deadline uh, on the bullseye. Um, uh, GSA and OMB issued the implementation plan report, um, which um, you know got good reviews. Um, and uh, we recently had a forum, had a lot of folks talking about it and asking questions, and because it is a, it's the sort of roadmap of where you guys want to go next. Mm-hmm. So, I think we should talk a little bit about that and. Um, for from your perspective, um, can you talk a little bit about you know GSA's role and where you see you know the next steps? Sure. So uh, as you mentioned, GSA really in uh, in partnership with OMB uh, had had the lead for uh, putting the report together. We laid it out in a series of phases. So phase one uh, was you know was what we just completed. Uh, it was a pretty short turn uh, as things go in government. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Sure was. 90 days. It was also a, a relatively short and to the point report, which I think is part of the reason it got good reviews. Uh, you know, my joke is that usually if it's longer than 20 pages, it's probably not going to get read. Uh, so, um, you know, we tried to be uh, really brief and concise there. And in the report in that initial phase laid out four things we're asking for from the uh, Congress, which we feel like really are instrumental to lay the groundwork for being able to uh, to actually implement uh, these these e-commerce portals and bring this bring this capability to uh, to buyers in the federal government, so we're talking about potentially raising the micro purchase threshold to twenty five thousand dollars for buys that go through these e-commerce portals. Or we want to do some things around modernizing the competition requirements. Uh, we want to uh, to take advantage of some different kinds of contractual arrangements. You get in. There's some there's some complexity around uh, these e-commerce portals, so we need some we need some flexibility there. Uh, and then we also want to broaden the definition of what an e-commerce portal is. Uh, so those are those are the four things that we asked the Congress to do for us uh, in the report. We're reasonably confident that uh, that they'll do it, and then we'll actually be able to um, you know to get on to implementation, roll out some proofs of concept, and uh, and get an understanding of how this can work in the context of the federal government. So from your perspective, the goals of 846, you know, was sort of big picture. Um, you know, you know, when, you know, when you talk about, you know, 
e-commerce is really changing, you know, the economy fundamentally. It has been for the last 10, 15 years, right? Um, and bringing this to the government. It, thoughts on that? Sure. So if you do take a step back from the language in 846 and really think broadly about what we're trying to accomplish here, what the Congress is trying to accomplish, you know, if you think about the modern buying experience that we all have uh, when we're at home and we, we purchase something online, right? It's fairly quick. Uh, it's simple. We have good visibility into our order, when it's going to be delivered. That's the sort of experience that we're trying to bring to buyers in the in the federal government. And, you know, we're also trying to get access to really good data to have a to get a better understanding of what we're buying and the prices we're paying for things. And we're trying to free up uh, contracting officers from doing, you know, relatively simple buys that can take up some time. Contracting officers are a very valuable resource within the federal government and within GSA. We're trying to let them focus on larger, more strategic things. You know, so we think bringing this kind of buying experience into the federal government will help us achieve all those aims. Right. So achieving those aims. So from your perspective, you know, the potential impact on the procurement system at large, you know, this this is a pretty big deal, isn't it? It's, it, 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 it is a big deal. I mean, it's uh, Jeff Kosas, who's a colleague at GSA, he's a senior procurement executive and was part of the group who helped put the report together. You know, Jeff said this is probably – from a policy standpoint, one of the biggest changes he's seen in his career, and he's you know he's had a 25-year career and been involved in really all all the you know key acquisition policy decisions for for a decade or so within the government. So uh, it it is big, uh, and and at the same time, uh, I don't know that it's um, I don't I don't know that it's maybe as big as everyone thinks it is, right? And let me let me sure you know, let me tell you why why I think that is. Uh, for one, we're we're talking about products, not not services here. Uh, and, you know, we're initially talking about doing some pilots uh, and we're maybe not talking about all kinds of goods, right? So there are certain mm-hmm. kinds of goods where we might want to take some special precautions, say around information technology equipment or around medical products. I think that that's part of, you know, what we hope to figure out when we when we do the proofs of concept. But the size of the market that this impacts could be a little more limited than people uh, in, initially think. That said, it is, it is significant, right? And it, and it is a big change. Uh, and I think some of the policy implications in terms of updating uh, the rules and regulations around competition are, are important and will be far-reaching. Yeah. And, and do, you, do you think or do you see, you know, it's, you know, to me, and I agree with Jeff, you know, wholeheartedly, this is one of the biggest potential changes in procurement policy process um, in a generation. Um and there's always that issue in government contracts, the age-old issue of commercial practices versus government requirements. Um, this sort of kind of really does frame that question, you know, moving forward. Um, do you have any thoughts on, you know, how do you go about achieving that right balance? Sure. So we have been working really hard to listen and do a lot of outreach. Uh, so you mentioned that we had an industry day on January 9th at a uh, over 200 participants uh, in person at, uh, at the GSA auditorium. I got a chance to uh, say hi to the group uh, just after lunch. And uh, we had, an, I think, another 300 or so people who joined that session uh, virtually. Uh, and then we had a, a comment period afterwards. We got, uh, you know, we got a number of comments, I think close to 100 comments in afterwards. So we, we took all that into consideration. And we've been really on the circuit, if you will, out talking to folks, 
listening. We've been doing some uh, some individual sessions, meeting with customer agencies. We've obviously been meeting with uh, with our industry partners. A lot of engagement and dialogue with the Hill, working back uh, back and forth with uh, some of the uh, some of the trade groups, you know, the industry associations. And I think from our standpoint, that's we want to tease out all those issues, bring them to the fore, and then there will be some trade offs made. I mean, we're not. Uh, we are not naive enough to think that there's sort of a perfect solution here where you'll be able to balance what are some legitimate public policy uh, concerns that are reflected in uh, the rules and regulations that govern how the federal government buys things and the desire for the speed and efficiency uh, and and uh, you know and price competitiveness that you get from acting in a purely purely commercial way. So our our goal is to not do anything uh, in secret, not do anything behind closed doors, hear all viewpoints. And then you know make in in the daylight make some uh, some rational trade offs. Right, and you have and GSA has been very proactive, and I think that's one of the things that um, all stakeholders you know across the board have, have been appreciative of um, GSA's sort of openness and uh, and OMB too. Matthew Blum is part of the group, right? And Laura Stanton, who runs the strategy management office in my group, right? And Mark Lee, who's a, runs policy compliance within Federal Acquisition Service, all all been part of it. It's really Roger part of. Uh, I, you know, I was joking with Mark the other day. I said, we're kind of taking what I consider like an open source approach to policy development. That is, we're, we're out, you know, li- getting lots of good ideas, getting lots of eyeballs on policy. We did it with order level materials, right? We did it with commercial Absolutely. supplier agreements, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And I think you get better rules and regulations at the end of the day. You don't always satisfy everybody, but at least people know where you stand and why you made the decisions you did. And I think that's that last point you just made is critical is if people feel they've had the opportunity to express their views and the conversation revolves around, okay, we, we hear you, we've done this and this and this, but we're doing this and this and this and here's why. And here's why. And yep. right. So if people understand, if they've had that opportunity and, and the government circles back and explains this is our rationale for doing things, people are much more comfortable with that. So, you know, and we're up on the break. You know, I want to continue this conversation, 846, a little bit and just talk about the next steps that you're going to be taking just a little bit, and then we can talk a little bit about some of the other opportunities for success you have as commissioner of GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. My guest today is Alan Thomas. He is the FAS commissioner, and you are listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Today, my guest is Alan Thomas. Alan is GSA's Federal Acquisition Service Commissioner. And Alan, when, when the first segment, we talked a lot about uh, Section 846. I want to continue and finish up on that conversation a little bit. Okay. Um, and I know, you know, we talked a lot about what it, what it is and the goals of it and where it's going. And GSA did submit its report in a timely manner um, within 90 days. Now you're on to phase two, I guess, which is, you know, up to a year long from the date of submission of the of the plan. Uh, what's in store for phase two for, uh, what are you guys going to be doing? So we are in, uh, phase two, the legislation in the, in the NDAA, uh, lays out some phases. So we're in, we're in the second phase of market research and consultation phase. So we're going to be doing really a deeper dive into the, uh, e-commerce portal capabilities that are, that are out there. We certainly have a sense of them. We outlined you know, those capabilities in the report, there's sort of a, a sell side capability, right? That, that a vendor might mm-hmm. use to directly yeah. sell their own goods or services. There's a, a, a buy side capability, kind of an e-procurement 
um, capability that might connect you to many marketplaces. Sort of like and a Travago or some, Kayak or something like that. Something that right? I mean, yeah. a little little different. Then, then there's yeah. sort of the, the the what I would call the you know the middleman, right? The the um, an aggregator, right? Who brings together a number of uh, a number of suppliers. So nice. those we outline those in the in the report. I think now is the time to go really gather information on those in a much deeper way. Uh, probably do some requests for information. Uh, and plan for uh, doing some proofs of concept. So the phases in the legislation, we could go all the way into 2020 until we actually, um, you know, put something out there to uh, to test. Our goal is really to at least by the end of uh, fiscal year 19 do a, a limited proof of concept. So we're trying to move a little more quickly. We feel like speed is one of the objectives here. Uh, so we're we're working hard to do that. Yeah, I, along those, you're going to be talking to the. The portal providers and that sort of thing is part of that market research. Are you going to talk to the customers and the suppliers as well? It's part, it's all they're all part of the big market, right? They all they all are part of that that ecosystem. We are. Right? We'll continue that that dialogue, right? So while we haven't didn't do a lot of engagement with the portal providers in phase one, we'll do more in phase two. We will continue uh, with heavy engagement with uh, stakeholders, uh, industry partners. And also, obviously, with uh, customers, in particular, Department of Defense, but you know, DHS, uh, Department of Veteran Affairs, right? I mean, it, all of our customers within the federal government. We will continue that uh, that engagement and that openness. That was a hallmark of Phase One. Is going to continue throughout the process. Yeah, and I know the VA had uh, they did an RFI just about a month or two back, asking for information about e marketplaces. So maybe you guys can help them out, right? I think we can. I said that. Too. <laughs> I, I think we can, and we've been in contact with uh, them. Okay. Um, so folks are going to be looking for some RFIs and that sort of thing and, and moving forward. Um, that's great. That'd be a great opportunity to get some, some good feedback. And I just put a shameless plug in. Maybe you can have, you know, another industry day or something like that along the way too. to, you know, you want to collect some information, you got some additional questions. Um, that'd be a great opportunity to do something like that. I, I would agree. We, uh, the industry day we held in early January, we think was very successful. We certainly got a lot, a lot out of it. We heard from the participants that they felt it was useful. And I don't think you've seen the last of industry days around this topic. Right. And as a participant in that industry day, I did think it was a great conversation across the board. Very good questions from the government folks in terms of trying to elicit what information. And I think that's reflected in the, in the, in the plan that was issued. So. Um, so let's turn a little bit about just like FAS in, sure. in general, and um, you're just approaching, getting close to a year um, in your position, um, about, be about 11 months, 10, 11 months, um, coming up at the end of, end of this month. Um, when you first started as commissioner, you sort of reflects what you did, what was done with the implementation plan. You, you, made, you made some emphasis on reaching out to key stakeholders externally, the, your industry partners, your customers. Um, you know, to get feedback on FAS's program. Um, in particular, you know, I remember when you talked to us, you talked emphasize the desire to address, you know, what's most important to keep in terms of the programs, what's important to change, and the obstacles to change. And what have you learned in those conversations? How is that going? So I'm always learning, right? The conversation is ongoing, but I did definitely come in with a plan to listen initially. And I will say, actually, one thing I listened to even before I took the job was uh, was off the shelf, right? As part of the prep, really? right? I downloaded probably 20 shows or so and uh, and listened to a number of guests, some of whom work for me now, and you know, others who are you know who are in the in the industry or in different roles in government. And I found it pretty valuable. But 
once I came in, yeah, I wanted to listen. You know, I thought about it in terms of concentric circles, right? So I wanted to listen to and engage the employees first. And I used that, you know, that simple rubric you outlined there, what's working and what's not working. And for things that aren't working, where are the barriers to change? Uh, I went and talked to customers uh, as well, uh, and then also engaged uh, in industry partners. So I, I had a goal uh, when I came in of trying to visit all 11 regions within the first six months that I was there, uh, and I met it. Uh, I got all the regions, uh, did a visit to all the regions, finished those just before uh, Thanksgiving last year. You know, I learned from that some really, really interesting things. We have a great set of people uh, within the Federal Acquisition Service and within GSA. They're close to customers. We are largely a fee-for-service activity, a non-appropriated activity. So our folks work really hard to understand customer needs uh, and then meet them. And that, for me, was great. That felt familiar, uh, having spent the, the majority of my career in the, in the private sector, right? Understand what the customer wants and then work really hard to deliver it. Uh, so that was good. One thing I did hear from a number of our people was that uh, the systems they're using to serve those customers and interact with their industry partners perhaps aren't as good as they could be. Uh, so my, you know, my kind of tagline was the systems we're using aren't on par with the quality of the people who are using them. So that's been an area of focus, which is internal, but I think has great, uh, great external impact, right? We handle $50 billion in federal procurement every year. We touch 20,000 uh, suppliers. Uh, so, you know, having having good systems that our folks uh, can use to get their job done has a big impact there. Uh, and it has a lasting impact too, right? I think one of the things you said when you, you talked to us is like, if you, you know, you're not going to be here forever, right? But if you make some fundamental investments on systems, that can have a return on investment for years on end. Right? Uh, yeah, I, in the government, right, it's, it's almost a generational impact, right, in terms of how, you know, how often things turn over. Yeah, so, you, you know, if you think about some of the basic things we do, writing and modifying contracts, helping customers place orders, managing assets and key programs we have like the fleet program or, or a personal property program, right? The systems that we're using there need to be simple, uh, easy, provide great data that allow us to make really good business decisions. If you can make an impact there, you can you can have a, 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 an impact that outlasts your, your tenure, right? Which is my goal in that area. Yeah, and do you see the e-commerce, you know, initiative that has the potential of your know, ability to leverage your you know FAS's capabilities in that direction. Is that fair to say? It does. Yeah, I, I would put it as part of that that systems modernization effort, mm-hmm. right? I think it fits in there. Right. Our our goals. We've looked at our systems is to uh, to buy not build where possible, right? So we're looking for for really good commercial off the shelf uh, capabilities that that meet our needs, and I think the e commerce portals in many ways fit within that construct. Are there lessons learned already that you find? You, I mean, I, obviously, I mean, and the systems is a big deal. I mean, I worked at GSA too, <laughs> so I understand the systems question that you have, um, or, or challenge and opportunity that you have. Um, are there are there areas where um, you have some you know lessons learned or things that you've identified that um, you, you talked about the great people and you learned about that? Are there other areas? Sure. So uh, I think one area, you know, there's always when a new leader comes in, I think there's always a temptation to reorganize, redraw the boxes. Uh, And the Federal Acquisition Service had just completed a a pretty large reorganization when I came in. Now, I heard from people that they weren't interested in that. And I'm not either. Right. I'm I'm more about uh, execution, not about reorganization. So, you know, my thought was with the organization as we have it, we might want to shift or change the priorities a bit and put uh, uh, emphasis in some different areas. 
but we're, you know, we're essentially going to go to war with the army we have, if you will. And I think for many people, that was a relief, right? Hey, let's not concentrate on reorganizing ourselves. Let's concentrate on executing our operations in support of our customers and deliver really great results. Right. And you know what, Alan, we're already up on the break. Um, so when we come back, we'll continue the conversation about FAS operations, uh, what's next, uh, where things are going. My guest today is Alan Thomas. He is the commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at GSA. And you've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Today, my guest is Alan Thomas, the Federal Acquisition Service Commissioner at the General Services Administration. And Alan, um, I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk. I know one of the things that folks are very interested in right now is IT modernization. They also get a lot of questions, you know, obviously about the GSA schedules program and its role and those priorities. So I wanted you to give an opportunity to talk about those as well as as any other priorities that you guys are focusing on. Sure. So uh, let's talk a little IT modernization uh, first. It's a component of the of the PMA, the President's Management Agenda, right, along with the uh, workforce of the 21st century and uh, data transparency and accountability. And uh, when I think about that externally in terms of GSA's role and the Federal Acquisition Services role, really three big planks there. There's the work we're doing uh, within the, uh, the Centers of Excellence, which is part of the Technology Transformation Services team, which um, as you know, Roger, and maybe some of your listeners do, was merged into the Federal Acquisition Service just before I joined. Uh, so that's one big plank. Uh, the Department of Agriculture is the first agency where the, um, where the COEs are, are off and running, a lighthouse agency, uh, if you will. Uh, the second component of IT modernization where we're playing a big role is around the President's report on IT modernization, which was issued in January. GSA has uh, either the lead or a hand in 25 of the 50 recommendations in the report. Uh, and a, you know, a big Whoa. component of that is, the, uh, is our enterprise infrastructure solutions contract, which agencies will be using to transfer uh, from the old networks contract, really modernize their yes. networks, add mm-hmm. security, right? Think about managed service. So that has a, that's a big component of that and a place where GSA and the Federal Acquisition Service in particular, Kay Ely and Bill Zielinski and team in the, in the IT category they do some good work there. Uh, and then the third place where we're playing a role is around the uh, Technology Modernization Fund, or TMF, which was part of the Modernizing Government Technology Act, MGT, which was part of the NDAA. I didn't know that an act could be part of an act, but apparently it can. Oh, absolutely. It can, yeah, yes. Absolutely. So with respect to the TMF, uh, there's a GSA administrator, Emily Murphy, obviously has a role there. There's a small PMO that's been set up under Allison Brigatti, the deputy administrator, and then... Uh, I've been appointed as a board member uh, to the TMF as well. So the TMF has stood up. Uh, we're off and running. We've done some a uh, couple rounds of reviews on uh, proposals, and uh, we'll soon be making some some funding yeah, so, decisions. So yeah, there. just to, can you expand the the board as a member of the board? You're looking at proposals from agencies to do modernization, and then the fund will help support that effort. Is that how it works? That is correct, right? There's a repayment component to it, right? But the idea behind the TMF was to make some dollars available so that uh, folks could put projects forward to do modernization, hopefully reduce their O&M bills, and then with those savings, pay the fund back. And it's a, you know, it's a revolving fund, right? So the idea is that as money comes back into the fund, new projects are presented, and then those, uh, those have an opportunity to get funded as well. Sort of a, think of it as kind of a, a kickstart for yeah. modernization mm-hmm. within the federal government. I mean, the government spends 
90-ish billion dollars a year on IT. We're talking about a $100 million fund here, but we think it can have outsized impact uh, in that the the projects that get funded, we think will will draw a lot of attention. So we want to highlight the right kind of behaviors, and we want folks to look at projects that um, are incremental in their approach, that use agile principles, right? The, right. Those, those kinds of things. It's always like seed money or almost, I mean, I, I, don't, I hate that, to use venture capital, but it's almost like a little bit like making some early investments. That's right. So that's the role that GSA and the Federal Acquisition Service in particular is playing with respect to IT modernization externally. Uh, internally, uh, as we mentioned in the last segment, we talked a little bit about our systems. You know, we spend upwards of $100 million a year on our IT systems to run uh, to run our business. Uh, we put some focus there. The, you know, the priorities within FAS that I've laid out are really around being easy, efficient, and modern. So easy is being easy to work with, both with respect to the systems we use to do our business and uh, the, the processes, right, that, that govern how we work. Uh, efficiency around helping deliver uh, shared services across the government. So we there are a couple programs we have, the fleet program, for example, uh, the card program, the smart pay program, right, which are in effect shared services that we deliver across the government. And then being modern, which is providing that IT modernization expertise that I talked about externally out to help agencies modernize both their infrastructure and the applications they use to run their business and accomplish their missions. All right. So, and then the other, uh, this GSA schedules program, you know, we wouldn't get out of here without talking about a little bit about the schedules program. Um, about the schedules. I've heard it's a favorite topic of yours, Roger. It's one of them. So uh, if you think about- uh, And Patriot football. And Patriot football. I'm I'm less, I'm probably more well-versed in the schedules than I am in, in Patriot football. Okay. Yeah. So with respect to the schedules, you know, that's an area where we are thinking about modernization also. From terms of my priorities, I would put that in the uh, in the easy bucket. So there, we're thinking about how do we streamline and simplify everything from uh, the initial uh, submission that a vendor has through modification, getting uh, awards on it, customers play, uh, to customers placing orders. Right. So we're looking at that whole process, thinking about how do we reduce burden, how do we make it simpler, both for our industry partners and for for the folks in GSA who are actually, you know, the contracting officers who are managing the contracts and for our agency partners who are who are placing orders against those contracts. We're early in that process. We are taking an approach, you know, much like we have on 846, right, where we're trying to be uh, very open there, um, going to engage all kinds of stakeholders and really listen and get a sense for all the ideas that are out there, potential impacts, and then, uh, then the group's going to come forward with a set of recommendations. Um, so other prior, other, other key priorities you were focusing on? Beyond easy, efficient, and modern. I mean, so, you know, always looking, the administrator, right, Emily right. laid out four really broad principles yes. around uh, ethical leadership, reducing uh, duplication, increasing transparency, increasing competition. So everything that we're doing is thinking about supporting those things, right? So if you think about systems and getting great data, right, that helps drive better competition and increases transparency, right? I mean, those are areas we're focused on and things we think are important. Do you see the e-commerce portal as one of the opportunities to potentially, you know, make the schedules easier? Is that, do you see that as an opportunity? Um, yes, I do think there'll eventually be some intersection or overlap there. I think our, our initial goal is to get the report out, get the market research done and run some proofs of concept, but we are certainly thinking about how the e-commerce portals will impact uh, the schedules program. 
and I'm just going to go back to, to IT modernization for a second sure. real quick. And I, I guess where I'm going with this is just uh, it's GSA's role in these things, whether it's category management or the IT modernization. We mentioned 25 of the you know 50 initiatives. GSA is playing a, either one of the lead roles in that. You know, it's you know when you go back a few years and people are saying what what was the point of GSA or not the point of GSA, it, it seems to me that's completely sort of flipped to the point GSA is playing, you know, is sort of serving the role that it was intended to do. Any thoughts on that? Uh, you no, know, I, I think that's right. I mean, it's a uh, you know GSA is knowing what GSA does and it's important importance is a bit of an insider's game. But for those right. who are on the inside, right, they they know we have an important role to play. And just by virtue of where we sit and what we do, um, we touch a number of things across the entire government. Uh, and so that makes our role important. And if you think about the president's management agenda, which we talked about just a little bit earlier, you know, there are 14, I think, uh, cross-cutting agency priority goals in there. GSA has a hand, a pretty significant hand in five uh, of those goals. So if you think about uh, shared services, which I talked a little bit about, that's an area where GSA, I think, is going to play a pretty significant role going forward. And we're right. uh, supporting Beth Angerman and her team over there and trying to bring some some common solutions and shared services to market and make that a reality. Yeah, and I, I, have, to, I have to say, I think shared services, whatever that, I mean, G, GSA by its statute is really a shared service for, you know, for, That's right. for everybody. But shared services, to me, is the next, you know, sort of opportunity for government to, you know, to streamline, to save money, to reduce costs across the board. Um, and, you know, from that perspective, maybe when we come back, because we are up on the break-in, we talk a little bit more about shared service. And then I just want to maybe get a little bit more personal and just talk about, you know, you know you've been in government, you've been in industry, get some, you know, some observations on some of the differences and also some of your thoughts about leadership. My okay. guest today is Alan Thomas. He is the commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service, and you are at GSA, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Today, my guest is Alan Thomas. Alan is the commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at the General Services Administration. And we're just going to finish up. We were talking a little bit about shared services and the host of things that are going on out there and some of GSA's, you know, increasing role in that area. I mean, even the IT modernization fund is a form of a shared service, right? In a certain sense. Correct. Right? Uh, shared capability or opportunity. Um, you know, do you have any, want to mention any other shared services uh, capabilities that uh, FAS brings to bear, Alan? I do. I think there are a couple that would be good to talk about. One is, uh, one's our fleet uh, program. So we manage centrally manage about uh, 200,000 vehicles across the federal government. It's about a third of the federal fleet. And uh, that's, an, that's an area where um, we are, we're going to be taking a look uh, in concert with OMB at, uh, at some agency-managed fleets as well. We think that's something we do, um, we do a little more efficiently, perhaps, than uh, some agencies do. So we're going to undertake some studies there with an, with an independent third-party uh, to look at those vehicles that aren't centrally managed and see um, if there potentially are some efficiencies government wide that can right, be gained. economies of scale. Economies of scale, and you know the benefit there if you're if you're running an agency, right? You you've got a mission. Your mission generally isn't isn't cars, right? right? Your exactly. your mission, if you're the Department of Agriculture, your mission is to you know help farmers and ranchers and keep the food we all eat safe. 
Uh, so if you can save a few dollars on cars and put that back into uh, into the mission of your agency, that's pretty attractive. So the, the fleet program is an area where we think we offer some economies of scale uh, across the government. The other area that I would highlight is our assisted acquisition services. So that's and that's something that's been growing pretty rapidly over the last couple of years. DOD is the largest customer by far there. Uh, and that group has really expanded its work from just traditional support services into more uh, mission-focused type work. It's a place where customers have choice. You know, they can, they can use uh, in-house contracting professionals to do it. Or if those in-house professionals are busy or perhaps don't have the expertise, they can come to GSA uh, and and customers have increasingly been turning to us, and we think there are there are significant benefits there as well. It helps put spend under management. It's in line with some of the initiatives that OMB has around uh, around category management. So that's you know that's another area to highlight where we think we're bringing great value into the right, government. and it becomes a center of excellence, right, in terms of acquisition support, right, that people can leverage over time. That's correct. Um, so um, you know one of the interesting things regarding your bio is you've spent a lot of time in government, relatively speaking, and also a lot of time in the private sector. And I, That makes me sound old, Roger. Uh, well, you don't know old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm talking about myself there. Um, but uh, you know, can, can you just talk? I mean, it's, I always, it's always interesting to get pers- people's perspectives, you know, guests' perspective on some of the differences, some of the some of the similarities between, you know, being an executive for a company versus an executive in the federal government. Yeah, so I think in terms of similarity, right, le- you know, leading people, being able to connect with people, laying out a, a clear vision, you know, those priorities I talked about within FAS, easy, efficient, modern, and then uh, being able to sort of get people to row with you and try and row as one. Those, those are qualities and skills and abilities that uh, as a leader, I think translate, you know, pu- public or private sector, right? I mean, I, you know, I think about in my life playing basketball, being captain of the basketball team, right? Coaching basketball, all those kinds of things are things public or private. I think those kind of skills translate. I think in the public sector, it is a more complex environment that leaders face, right? There are a number of stakeholders that you don't necessarily have in the private sector. Uh, sometimes the measures and the metrics aren't always as clear, and they're certainly not as cut and dried as they can be in the in the private sector. And you know, just like we talked about in the first segment around Section 846 and trying to balance some legitimate public policy objectives against some of the speed and efficiency you get in operating in a purely commercial manner, those are the kind of things that a leader or manager in the public sector has to think about, uh, understand, and then make some trade-offs around that aren't always the case in the in the private sector. When you're looking at what you're doing right now in that context, like, what do you find is your biggest challenge, perhaps, and and also the biggest opportunity? And I know we've covered a lot of that already on the show, but just when you think when you get up in the morning, what do you what are you thinking about in terms of? Oh, I know you got you got the kids and all that kind of good stuff, right? Yeah, We're yeah, all thinking, yeah. yeah, all that yeah. all that's the best stuff actually. But uh, you know, what are you thinking about when you're thinking about? Okay, I'm getting you know, I'm, I'm heading in the office, like you know. Yeah, so I'm thinking about leading people, right? I'm thinking about the frontline employee in my organization uh, and what they're doing, right? My philosophy is if you take care of the employees, they will take care of the customers and the results that you're looking for will generally follow from there. Uh, I'm thinking about putting the right leaders who are a level or two below me uh, in the right spots. So you can only have so much impact as one as one person, uh, so getting the right people and the right leadership roles within the organization 
having them be clear about what you want to accomplish and then getting them working together as a unit, as an enterprise. Uh, for me, I think about being myself, right, in terms of being authentic uh, and being, you know, somebody who displays those core values I have around honesty, courage, and graciousness. Those have really seemed to resonate with uh, folks in the Federal Acquisition Service, uh, and those are, you know, those are, I feel like those are values I've had throughout my career. Those really come come from your upbringing um, that seem, as I said, it seems to have resonated pretty well within the organization. Yeah, I, I mean, that's... With some great thoughts, you know, just the you know, think about people can recognize phonies, right? Right. And, and the one thing that you said that really resonates with me is, you know, picking the right people. It's about the team, right? I mean, you, you know, you're only as good as, you know, you know, the person, you know, your peers and the people you're working with, right? And the t- people on your team. You played basketball, right? You know that, right? You can be a superstar, but if you, you don't have a team, you're not going to go in. You're not going to win. Uh, uh, Tom, Tom Brady, right, still needs 10 people on offense and 11 guys on defense and good special teams, right? right, you right. Only, go, only one person only goes so far. Right. Um, this is a question sort of off the, uh, off the cuff, but um, a little bit or just different. Uh, and, and I thought the show was off the shelf. So yeah, well, off the cuff? Okay. yeah, well, you know, and you're very good. That's very good. It is off the shelf. Off the so shelf. This, this question is off the shelf. Um, from your perspective, how, is, how have you seen the government change in the procurement world? Because you've been in the government, then you, you know, the government's been your customer. Now you're back and you are, the, you are the, in the government again. What, what have you seen as sort of struck you in, the cha- in ch- terms of change over that time? So, that, that, you know, that's an interesting question. I, uh, yeah, I came into government in 1994 as a presidential management fellow working in, right. working in DOD, right? Worked acquisition uh, issues. Then we worked on the DOD 5000 series. We were going to reform the, the weapon system buying process within DOD. And uh, as part of that task, I had to go back and do a little research on the history of the 5000. So that was actually put in place really? by yeah. David Packard, right? Uh-huh. Of, Packard of Hewlett Packard, one of the founders of Hewlett Packard, who mm-hmm. was deputy secretary uh, in the early 70s in the Nixon administration. And uh, it was interesting to see you, there, there literally was a pendulum that would swing back and forth, right? Between sort of reform and, you know, we should act more, you know, the government should act more like a business, right? And that should be reflected in how it, how it buys things. And then sort of, you know, then there might there might be some scandals or some issues, right? And the pendulum right. would swing back and forth. And no, we should have, you know, really specific uh, and sometimes somewhat onerous rules and regulations in place, right? And really tightly govern how we how we do things. You can see that pendulum, right? Continue to swim. I mean, it was it's been swinging as at least as since the 1970s. Right. I think we're see, so you know, we're in a period now, right, where we're thinking about acting more like a commercial enterprise right. and you see that we're streamlining, yeah. simplifying, right? Which, which I think is good. The important thing is to keep the goodness from that. And if, you know, if by chance something happens, that's a little bit outside the rules and regulations and not throw out all the, all the good stuff that happens when you, you know, when you put in place a rule or regulation or tighten something to, uh, uh, to, to fix a problem that, that exists. But that, I, I do think about that pendulum. There was a colleague I had in the Pentagon who said, in, in government acquisition, there's only uh, old wine in new bottles, right? And to some extent, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's true. Yeah. That, I, what you talk, when you talk about a pendulum and, like, what's the right balance, it mm-hmm. really is, like, it does swing back and forth. And, you know, the, the question is, at any one point, are we at equilibrium, right? Are we where all the stakeholders, like, all the different rules that are put on it are but you know, a lot of it's either a response to scandal, but it's also different stakeholders have different views of things. That's right. Um, 
and and it does sort of seem to you know when it gets out of whack one way or the other arguably it goes back to sort of more more balanced let's say i don't know there um, there is a bit of a self-correcting mechanism in the system and i think you know the fact look we 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 live in a we live in a representative democracy right and so all stakeholders have voices and they're heard and they you know, people lobby and right. and uh, the Congress does things and the executive branch does things. So the, the system does tend to sort of seek equilibrium and find uh, and, and find balance, which I think is a good thing. Now, to an outsider who wasn't raised in this system, it looks messy a little bit, right? And sure. sort of can look kind of muddled and, mm-hmm. and you know, but, but um, you know, it's the, it's... It democracy te- is messy, can be messy. Democracy right? is yeah. messy, right? Yeah. That, yep. That's that's right. But... But but good. I think absolutely. we would both agree, oh, right? We're, you know, I I I always joke, right? There are two two things that have a um, a big impact on your life that you have no control over. One is where you're born, yes, and the yeah. other is to whom you're born, right? Right. right. Uh, and and yeah, so you live somewhere like this. You you if you've traveled a bit, you realize pretty pretty lucky. Yeah, absolutely. Alan, thanks so much for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. My guest today has been Alan Thomas, the Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service, and you've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear the entire show or any of our weekly programs anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Off the Shelf, only on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.